Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, February the 17th, 2022. The show will be rebroadcast on Monday, February the 21st. 2022 from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 96th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. Tonight's show... We continue our mission to bring light to the volumes of evidence surrounding important issues for humanity that our mainstream media distort, omit, or otherwise misrepresent. Tonight, we shift gears from our coverage of the Ukraine-Russia-NATO conflict and the insanity that is pushing us closer and closer to war for a very important show tonight in celebration of Black History Month. We are very blessed to have with us Dr. Algernon Austin. He is the Director for Race and Economic Justice at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. We are delighted to have him comment on his recent piece, Black History Month, How Far Are We from Martin Luther King's Dream of Equality of Opportunity that he published earlier this month on February 9th, 2022. Before we start our interview and dialogue with Dr. Austin, though, we wanted to remind you that this month and next week we begin our membership drive at Co-op Radio. We need your support and we look forward to your support and please stay tuned for more information. We will be having our membership drive show for bringing light into darkness next week on February the 28th, the last Monday of February in Black History Month. This week, Co-op begins its fourth membership drive while under COVID-19 restrictions. We are so grateful for the support our listeners provided in the past and proud to be your friendly neighborhood radio station for over 27 years. Our spring membership drive runs from Friday, February 25th through Sunday, March 5th, and donations can currently be safely and quickly made at koop.org. There you'll find the convenient Donate Now button, the new range of thank you gifts, and the always anticipated t-shirt designs. And remember, KOOP appreciates every contribution that continues to sustain us all. With your support, we will be there for you. It's showtime. So sit back and enjoy. Take some notes. Dr. Austin brings a powerful presentation tonight. Good evening, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness with your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is Thursday, February the 17th, 2022. 
This show is being pre-taped and will be replayed live this Monday, February 21st, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are very blessed to have with us the Director for Race and Economic Justice at the Center for Economic Policy and Research. That would be Algernon Austin. Dr. Austin, first of all, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, let me just share that Dr. Austin has been conducting research and writing in issues of race and racial inequality for a couple of decades. His primary focus and one that we will be focusing on today will be the intersection of race and the economy. The Center for Economic Policy Research is a institute up in the Washington, D.C. area that does a lot of really important economic-driven work around inequality issues. Dr. Austin became the first director of the Economic Policy Institute's program on race, ethnicity, and the economy, where he has focused on the labor market conditions of American workers of color. He's also done work on racial wealth inequality for the Center for Global Policy Solutions. So with that being said, I wanted to, again, thank you for joining us. I wanted to start the show off by highlighting a recent overall economic profile of our country. The title of the article was presented a couple of days ago on February the 13th, 2022. The top 1% owned 32.1% of total wealth. The bottom 50% owns 2.5%. The source of this data is the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. And this data, as I mentioned, is compiled by the Fed. It starts and compares the third quarter of 1989 to the most recent data, the third quarter of 2021. And it's pretty shocking. We've covered these numbers in the past, but the top 1% back in 1989 owned an extraordinarily large 23.6% of the wealth. And now in 2021, third quarter, that's jumped up to 32.1%. So that's a jump of like 8.5%, which is really a huge jump from 23.6 to 32.1. Meanwhile, the 90th to the 99th percentile stayed rather flat at 37.3% back in 1989. And today, post-1989, it's 37.5%. So it's pretty much flat. The 50th to 90th percentile, which I guess we would call the middle class, has dropped fairly precipitously from 35.6% to now 27.9%, which is a, you know, a 20% drop. And then finally, the bottom 50%, which had a measly 3.7% in 1989, has dropped 33% down to 2.5%. So with that as a backdrop, that's not speaking to the issues of race and inequality. And in your article, or the piece that you most recently wrote, Dr. Austin, Black History Month, how far are we from Martin Luther King's dream of equal opportunity? Can you speak first to the issue of people of color within that backdrop that we just mentioned from the recent Fed reports? Yeah, well, I'm glad you raised that because the issue of wealth inequality, as the numbers you present show, is severe, extreme in American society. And really, as a capitalist society, that structures a lot. That structures our politics. It structures 
really the entire society is being shaped by the extreme wealth inequality that we see. So it's very important that people think about those numbers, wrestle with those numbers, and think about how do we produce a more equitable society? Because let's think about it. So those numbers over the pandemic, we've seen a, a surprising increase in the number of billionaires. And we can think, if we're thinking of billionaires, we can think of like Jeff Bezos, the head of Amazon. But people can think like, how many, how many packages has Jeff Bezos delivered in his lifetime? Um, probably zero. But yet, if Amazon didn't deliver any packages, Amazon would have zero pretty much zero wealth. So it's the all the other people who are not Jeff Bezos who are contributing significantly to the wealth of Amazon. But we do see that those people aren't being compensated adequately for all that they do to contribute to the wealth of Amazon. And that wealth is concentrated among Jeff Bezos and other people at the top of the company. So that's it's really important for people to recognize that, you know, workers contribute wealth, that companies like Amazon or whatever, it's the workers are creating and generating wealth. But because because we lack labor unions, because workers don't have the right to bargain in many states and those the, the laws the the ability it's it's extremely difficult for workers to form unions and to bargain effectively because again of policies that we have although the latest data shows a majority of the american people support unions but only a tiny slice of of american workers are members of unions again we're not having the policies that would allow us to create a more equitable wealth distribution in American society. So that's that's just the dealing with the class aspect. But when you look at this by race, you do see that racial inequality is piled on to the wealth inequality and people of color, African-Americans and Latinos or the Hispanic population, as well as the Native American population are overwhelmingly concentrated in that bottom 50% that you talked about that is now only has about 2.5% of the wealth. So we find really high rates of very low net worth, if I'm speaking just about African Americans, and also high rates of people with negative net worth, meaning they are in debt. It could be student loan debt, it could be payday lending debt, it could be just high interest credit card debt, but unfortunately, significant uh, shares of um, people of color are have negative net worth. That means they owe more than they own in terms of wealth. So we have a severe class inequality in American society. And on top of that, we see racial inequality with, within our class system. Well, let me ask you this, and thank you for that analysis, too. Currently, in speaking to your point, that according to U.S. federal figures, I think these were 2020 figures, the the median white household family had a net worth 
And, and again, when we're talking about net worth, we're talking about wealth. We're not talking about income. We're talking about the main barometer of equality or inequality in my mind. And the uh, the net worth was some 171000 for white family households, the median family households, which which is some 10 times greater than the net worth of the median black family household net worth. So these disparities, they create problems of inequality within the housing or a result of the chicken and the egg type of thing, but education, technology, access to medical treatments, and everything that you can particularly think of. So the book that you wrote some time ago, I I don't know that I mentioned at the beginning of the program, America is not post-racial, xenophobia, Islamophobia, racism, and the 44th president. I think this is particularly important when it comes to the economic conditions. So when you look at the middle class from 1989 to today getting shrunk in its wealth, that wealth distribution went to the top 1%, basically, is what we've already indicated. I guess one of my questions is, like Dr. King would speak to the character of a nation. And what does it say about a character of a nation in which when you have a pandemic, as you've already indicated, the hardest hit are the lowest economic groups of people that have the least amounts of defenses based on their lack of resources. And the greatest beneficiaries is the top 1%. So I guess I wanted to just ask you to speak to the uh, absence of the focus or discussions at any level in our government about these atrocious wealth inequality. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders talks about it once every four years uh, and such. But at the end of the day, if Dr. King's vision for equal opportunity is ever going to manifest itself during our lifetime, it seems to me like there are some radical changes that need to occur. Can you speak to that issue a, a little bit more? Well, yes. And it's important to remember that Martin Luther King thought that we should evaluate our society not by the highest, not by the Jeff Bezos, but by the how we treat the people with the least. You know, we, he died. He was engaged with the Poor People's Campaign. You know, he was explicitly focused on addressing poverty. He died while he in Memphis, Tennessee, supporting striking black sanitation workers. Uh, one who had died on the job. The strike was precipitated by a sanitation worker dying on the job because of faulty equipment that the workers had to deal with and inadequate supplies and low wages and poor treatment. Um, So he was very much concerned with economic inequality as well as racial inequality. And for him, these things, these things were interconnected. Uh, And again, in his view, you evaluate the society not on how it's you know, how rich the richest person is, but how is it treating the poorest members of the society? 
So it's very frustrating to people who are knowledgeable about Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement to see how we, for lack of a better term, whitewash King and pretend that all he's interested in is dreaming and this sort of colorblind ideology when, again, his final days was engaged in addressing poverty in American society working on a poor people's movement and fighting for the rights of black sanitation workers to be able to unionize, to have decent wages, to have decent benefits, and to not have to work under conditions that could cost them their lives. And that's that's what King was about. Absolutely. And, and I want to remind our listeners that we are having the, uh, the great privilege of speaking with Dr. Algernon Austin. He is the uh, director of the Economic Policy Institute's program of race, ethnicity, and, and the economy. And this is at the Center for Economic Policy Research up in Washington. I think what you said is really important about Dr. King. The principles that drove him, I believe, are evident from a number of his speeches, particularly that last year of his life. But the character of a nation has so much to do with how it treats its most vulnerable. And you cited some really important data from the Diversity Data at Kids website that spoke to how African-American children are faring with respect to these issues of equality and inequality and such. And it's just heartbreaking to, to see well into the 21st century the data that was shared and that you cited by the Diversity data at kids. Can you highlight those points for us and for our audience? Yeah, so diversitydatakids.org is a project out of Brandeis University uh, in Massachusetts, and they've produced a child opportunity index. And this index ranks neighborhoods by three, there are three buckets. One, the first bucket is educational opportunities. What's the quality um, and availability of uh, educational resources and educational outcomes by neighborhoods? Also, that's one bucket. The second one is health and environmental conditions, you know, health outcomes. Um, are there, what's the level of pollution in the neighborhoods, et cetera? And social and economic resources, you know, yeah, are these communities experiencing high rates of joblessness? etc. So they looked at several measures for all of these in each of these buckets and then they combined it all into one index and they rank all of the neighborhoods. I'm focusing on the one that's looking at the hundred largest metropolitan areas and that's a good that gives you a good picture for the country as a whole because if I remember correctly a majority of the U.S. population is in a hundred largest metropolitan areas combined. So they create this index for all of these neighborhoods in all of these metropolitan areas. And then they rank them from one is the, the rank, the score of one goes to the neighborhood that has the least of all of those things. And 100 goes to the neighborhood that has the most. And, and each, or I shouldn't say the, the neighborhood, but the, the percent, it's the percent. So one is the covers the 1% the of neighborhoods with the worst and 100 com 
looks at the 1% of neighborhoods with the best of everything. And when they look at where does the average black neighborhood fall, the average black neighborhood or the median black neighborhood falls at 24. The median white neighborhood falls at 73. So there's a huge, huge disparity there, a huge gap a huge inequality. So if our goal, and this was King's goal for equal opportunity, if, if our goal is equal opportunity, we're nowhere close. And mm-hmm. we have to think if, if we're subjecting black children to neighborhoods that are at the 24th percentile and white children at the 73rd percentile, there is no reason for us to expect that these children will have equal opportunity, equal opportunity to success, equal outcomes, um, given that the black child are living in neighborhoods with so little in terms of educational opportunity, so little in terms of health resources, and so little in terms of economic resources. Yeah, and I think, Dr. Austin, that's the perfect picture of what systemic racism is, in my mind that you can have all of the eloquent words of how far we've come and all that, but when is progress a lack of progress? I, I guess one of my questions would be for you, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but when you look at the indice of 24 percentile versus 73 percentile black versus white children, obviously the opportunities for white children are significantly greater. Is there any, I mean, I I realize I didn't have this data and this opportunity index back in the mid-1960s, but do you have any data that would indicate roughly the types of challenges kids back in that period of time versus this period of time to show what amount of of movement there's been in these numbers at all? I mean, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I don't we don't have the exact data to compare, but we can I can say that on a number of economic measures from 1960s to today, we've made very little progress in terms of looking at the unemployment rate, for example, the black unemployment rate has been twice the white unemployment rate for that entire period. There's been no progress in terms of reducing the unemployment rate disparity. In terms of school integration, there really hasn't been that much progress. While every effort that has been made toward integrating elementary and secondary school has really been circumvented. In the southern states, for example, many white families left the public schools and moved to private schools to avoid integration. You can't have school integration when you have a a very high level of residential segregation. There's been a little bit of improvement uh, uh, in terms of residential segregation, but not much. And consequently, we still have a lot of school segregation. The wealth inequality that you mentioned uh, is another part that really hasn't improved very much. The home ownership rate, I think, is pretty much back to where it was in 1960. Health and environmental conditions, we still have significant health inequality and environmental inequality. Dr. Algernon, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. 
This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin, the premier community radio station of the nation. Stay tuned, and we will be back with our very special guest in just a flash. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. Don't touch that dial.